AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Hello, welcome to AT&T ThreatTrack for November 22nd, 2016. This program provides network security highlights, discussion, and countermeasures for cyber threats. Today, we're joined by Bindu Sundarisan, uh, your practice lead for AT&T Consulting Services, that is security consulting services. Yes. And uh, Bindu, welcome. Thank you. And uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. Sure. So I'm part of the security consulting practice offered by AT&T, and uh, I've been doing this for 16 plus years. And uh, oh. I have a bachelor's in electrical engineering and a master's in telecommunications. Then I started working on networks and then got interested in information security. And from then on, I've been working with clients, helping them with strategies, you know, as well as tactical solutions mm. for security challenges. That's very good. You know, two things. One, I'm a big, big advocate of the engineering. Uh -huh. I just happen to be an engineer myself, yeah. so welcome. Thank you. <laughs> it's yeah. it's good to meet uh, folks of similar background. Mm -hmm. And I think the second thing is, you pointed out, you, you were working in networks and then transitioned into cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of folks have been working and doing that. Do you have any thoughts about how people should be thinking about doing it? Yeah, so I think in the security space, it's a unique space because you know you can use your mathematical background, your mm -hmm. analytical skills, your engineering background in terms of thinking through a problem and arriving at solutions. Mm -hmm. So the way I started out was the need to be able to problem solve, the need to want to innovate, while at the same time, I like the people interaction, which is why the consulting mm -hmm. element, right? So right. that's how I started. And you know, I'm seeing more and more of you know colleagues that I meet with that come from sort of similar backgrounds but at the same time a stronger skill set or a niche area that mm -hmm. they focus on and as a team we bring together collective you know brains and thought power behind you know what I consider to be a people problem today in terms mm -hmm. of security. So. Yeah well that's very good I and mean, we're going to talk a little bit about the people factor sure. a little bit later yeah. on so welcome again. Thank you. Uh, we have Joe Harton here. Welcome, Joe. And you're a director. You work on our enterprise security analysis platform. Right, yeah. My team, um, we build the platform, so we're collecting and running analytics on the data. Um, I, I have a little bit of a different background. I'm more of a computer science and software background. And somewhere along the line, you kind of fall in love with the data rather than the code. And you know, getting to understand security data and the threats and the, mm -hmm. um, you know, this sort of the security world we're in, just you, know, you end up pushing yourself more towards the domain and rest less towards the software end of it. You so. know, I, I guess perhaps a subtle point is there that in order to do good security, you have to do good system design, platform design. Absolutely. And so it's not just about the analysis, it's not just about saying something about security. You actually have to build things to support it. So. Right, yep. And we kind of have the infrastructure in place in order for brilliant people like yourself and Jim to find all the problems, so. I have more brilliant days. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> all right, thanks, Joe. I'll take the compliment anyway. And then uh, we have Jim Clausey online. Welcome, Jim. And uh, actually, I, I, I tend to think of you as a security and forensics analyst uh, as a part of our organization. So uh, welcome, Jim. Thanks. Yeah, it's good <laughs> to be here. It's interesting that you know, my background was you know, math and computer science, double major as an undergrad, and mm -hmm. then a master's in computer science. but. I've been all over the place doing system administration, database administration. I built compilers for a while and then I got into the malware analysis and forensics. 
So actually uh, another good attribute, and, and you know the reason. Hello, welcome to at and Threat Track for November 22nd, 2016. This program provides network security highlights, discussion, and countermeasures for cyber threats. Today, we're joined by Bindu Sundarisan, uh, your practice lead for at and Consulting Services, that is Security Consulting Services. Yes. And uh, Bindu, welcome. Thank you. And uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. Sure. So I'm part of the security consulting practice offered by AT&T, and uh, I've been doing this for 16 plus years. And uh, huh. I have a bachelor's in electrical engineering and a master's in telecommunications. Then I started working on networks and then got interested in information security. And from then on, I've been working with clients, helping them with strategies, you know, as well as tactical solutions mm. for security challenges. That's very good. You know, two things. One, I'm a bit big advocate of the engineering. Uh -huh. I just happen to be an engineer myself, yeah. so welcome. Thank you. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's good to meet uh, folks of similar background. Mm -hmm. And I think the second thing is, you pointed out, you, you were working in networks and then transitioned into cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of folks have been working and doing that. Do you have any thoughts about how people should be thinking about doing it? Yeah, so I think in the security space, it's a unique space because you know you can use your mathematical background, your mm -hmm. analytical skills, your engineering background in terms of thinking through a problem and arriving at solutions. Mm -hmm. So the way I started out was the need to be able to problem solve, the need to want to innovate, while at the same time I like the people interaction, which is why the consulting mm -hmm. element, right? So right. that's how I started. And you know, I'm seeing more and more of you know colleagues that I meet with that come from sort of similar backgrounds but at the same time a stronger skill set or a niche area that mm -hmm. they focus on and as a team we bring together collective you know brains and thought power behind you know what I consider to be a people problem today in terms mm -hmm. of security. So. Yeah well that's very good I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about the people factor sure. a little bit later yeah. on so welcome, welcome again. Thank you. Uh, we have Joe Harton here. Welcome, Joe. And you're a director. You work on our enterprise security analysis platform. Right, yeah. My team, um, we build the platform, so we're collecting and running analytics on the data. Um, I, I have a little bit of a different background. I'm more of a computer science and software background, and somewhere along the line, you kind of fall in love with the data rather than the code. And you know, getting to understand security data and the threats and the, mm -hmm. um, you know, this sort of the security world we're in, just you, know, you end up pushing yourself more towards the domain and rest less towards the software end of it. You so. know, I guess perhaps a subtle point is there that in order to do good security, you have to do good system design, platform design. Absolutely. And so it's not just about the analysis, it's not just about saying something about security, you actually have to build things to support it. So. Right, yep, and we kind of have the infrastructure in place in order for brilliant people like yourself and Jim to find all the problems, so. I have more brilliant days. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> all right, thanks, Joe, I'll take the compliment anyway. And then uh, we have Jim Clausey online, welcome, Jim. And uh, actually, I, I, I tend to think of you as a security and forensics analyst uh, as a part of our organization, so uh, welcome, Jim. Thanks, yeah, it's good <laughs> to be here. It's interesting, that, you know, my background was you know, math and computer science, double major as an undergrad, and mm -hmm. then a master's in computer science, but I've been all over the place doing system administration, database administration. I built compilers for a while, and then I got into the malware analysis and forensics. So, so actually, uh, another good attribute, and, and you know, the reason I'm kind of digging into this a little bit is I just happened to have been discussing with a, uh, a colleague of ours today. He was interested, he has a very strong background in engineering, uh, software engineering, 
um, and in program management, interested in getting the cybersecurity space. And so, Jim, you point out another very important attribute is that that hands-on aspect of things. Uh, you know, there's no even you know in system administration, you really get a very strong uh, perspective of how to make pieces of an overall system secure. And it's a very important part of it that, you know, I think one of my sort of slogans in the past has been uh, in security, the details matter. Yes. And so the administrator is the uh, one that really gets into the details and uh, not to be lost on doing analysis on um, system forensics and uh, malware analysis, same sort of thing. So welcome, Jim. And uh, so let's get to it, Bindu, sure. you've, uh, you're, we talked a little bit about yeah. the human factors here, uh -huh. so tell us a little so, about this perspective. Sure, so recently I came across a study from NIST. It was released in you know, the beginning of October, again, mm -hmm. Cybersecurity Awareness Month and so on. So you know, this study was interesting. Although it's not a representative sample of an entire population or you know, it's not really you know, something in terms of a statistical find, but mm -hmm. more in terms of addressing a problem that they've uncovered, even without asking those specific questions. Mm -hmm. So what they found in this study is the security users or the generic user population is now tired of you know listening to the whole FUD tactic in terms of all the breach news, in terms of all the things that they have to do to make sure data is protected. You know, the interesting angle to this that I thought was, you know, we are now seeing a variety of attacks that target this specific weak link, which is the human element in the overall security. Whether it's phishing attacks that we are seeing, we are seeing business email compromises happening, all of that is targeted at that end user. Mm -hmm. So if, if the generic user population is going to be so frustrated about you know, following security practices and you know, keeping up the security hygiene, we as a security professional, while we are developing these measures, whether it is in the form of authentication tools, whether it is in the form of training programs, we really need to consider, you know, what the end user is. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say this, security is nothing if it is, cannot be functional, right? Mm -hmm. So user functionality and security go hand in hand. So there are, you know, specific quotes from people that took this study that talk about how security is so cumbersome and they have to remember, you know, 20 passwords. And, you know, the dilemma is, you know, how do you enable this user to have a social profile, to be able to use, you know, mm -hmm. different technological elements, and at the same time, equip them so that they don't have to make hard security decisions. You know, one of the things that this study points to is this is a psychological you know human problem so if you consider you know the younger generation of today using all of the devices that we use and if password basic you know security measure if that is going to be frustrating for an end user imagine this is the generation that is going to come into the workforce tomorrow so how are we going to equip our security measures tools and technologies to address this human factor mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think uh, it, you, you make some good points here, I guess, uh, as a part of this study. Well, first of all, I think it's interesting that NIST made a publication like mm -hmm. this because it really, I mean, from my perspective, has, or my, I guess, past perspective mm -hmm. of NIST, it's really been it's sort of a shift. And I think it is mm -hmm. good that they're doing research in this area so that we can start thinking about how the security standards need to follow that and how yeah. the implementations need to follow it. Yeah. Um, you know, it, and you pointed out, you know, like 20 to 30 passwords. I think we were talking yes. a little bit earlier. I, I saw that and I had to check and I have, you know, I personally have like around 165 passwords wow. that I have to maintain. <laughs> yes. And you know, if you think about it, you know, you bank accounts, email uh -huh. accounts, you know, it's both work and personal activities. And mm -hmm. so 
we need to think about that in the context of tools. There would be no way for me personally to manage those passwords mm -hmm. effectively if I weren't using a tool to help manage those passwords is to have uh, and then protect them properly. Yeah. And I think there was a, uh, there was actually, a, I've, I've forgotten the context, somebody had said that they had um, and an email kept mm, their password. all the passwords, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've walked into a number of places where, you know, yes, they have a different password for each mm. system. So at the end of the day, they write it on a piece of mm. paper and then put it in right. a file cabinet, hoping to lock it each time. But we yeah. all know, right, how many times do we actually go about yeah. locking all of this? And we're also seeing, you know, we have a tendency to use the same password across multiple you know accounts so it's especially a, it's email. tempting to do that yes it you know, is tempting so, to do it. yeah and unless you know I've, I've said this before you know first thing you can do is think of what a strong password is the reason you cannot mm -hmm. remember all of this is because you're also convoluting the process of creating a strong password. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, mother's maiden name, I've seen people that, you know, mother's maiden name today, I can find out just by Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you know, interfacing with people, you're sharing information. And those are the things that, you know, really get us into trouble long term. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, it's interesting you point that out because I was in actually in a uh, registering for a service mm -hmm. recently and it was compulsory that you choose answers to questions mm -hmm. things now I, I think the actual the recommendation on this is just make up something and then yeah. document what the answer is as yeah. opposed to actually answering because they, the questions were all ones that mm -hmm. you could basically go into yeah. a regular history you know where did you live Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, what school did you go to? Exactly. Things like that. Yeah. It was really kind of silly questions. Yeah, that... and and I what I usually do is like you say, you know, think of the most random answer. And yes, mm -hmm. do I replicate those random answers? I do, but you know, my password is not the same, right? And yeah. it's not easy to find that. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I recently went through the same effort where one of my I got an, an update that one of my passwords was, um, you know, lost. So I went and changed everything, and and it. It annoyed my wife more than me because she said, you know, all the shared passwords were changed. And, you know, it made me think that anytime I change my passwords on any account that we share, you know, she has a login, I have a login. You know, if she has a, a weak password, it's just the same as me having a weak mm -hmm. password. So really having to educate anybody else who sort of shares your access, you know, that's important, too. Yeah. So. so since we're talking about passwords, mm -hmm. I have to kind of go back and reemphasize, you know, um, and, and Brian Krebs made this a very mm -hmm. clear point as a, a basically an annex to his book yeah. on Spam Nation is that be very careful about your email password. That's mm -hmm. probably the most valuable password you have because almost everything it's connected to allows that. you to reset yeah. your password using your email account. Yeah. And that and your password manager password. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so. that's true. But the, Yeah, well, the, that's why you use two-factor authentication for the password manager. Good point, Jim. So, Bindu, what, we talked about the passwords. What about some other aspects of this? Yeah, so security awareness and training programs that we help, you know, people mm -hmm. understand why they should, you know, take care of uh, information, why, they, why should they go about protecting information. You know, we see that effectiveness of a security awareness and training program is usually not measured, right? Mm -hmm. So we've all been there and done that in terms of training materials that is not really directly related to our job that we sort of skim through. We get, you know, again, back to the user fatigue in terms of frustration about why we need to sit through loads of training. Mm -hmm. You know, I've often found this, you know, HR policies and things that you're reading that you don't really apply on your day-to-day, -day, you know, job level, getting frustrated with that. So we are seeing that, you know, uh, the trend to check 
the measure of effectiveness that these training programs ha have on your user base. You know, one of the ways to do that is social engineer your mm -hmm. own, you know, user population. And I've seen, you know, more often than not that, you know, that test reveals deficiency in your training program. It also helps the user understand the relevance and the impact a security threat might have on their own work style, right? Mm -hmm. So that is, you know, one of the trends that's also mentioned in the study, talking about, you know, why we need to uh, develop training programs with the psychology of the user in mind. Talk to them about impact, not necessarily the threat itself, right? Mm -hmm. We want to know what the risks are and what the impact is. And don't give them, you know, too much information in terms of boring them with the process of how that attack could happen to them. Mm -hmm. uh, give them information on how that attack will impact their job today. How will it impact, you know, their kids, you know, their mm -hmm. lifestyle overall. So that, and once we make it personal, I think it also sticks better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Making it and making it personal, and I think um, you know one of the things that we've been doing with our mm -hmm. user awareness training is putting in the very small chunks. Yes, that is to teach one concept mm -hmm. and just take a few minutes doing that, and then to be able to move on and then yeah. and, and do others at, at other periods of time. I think is a helpful yeah, approach to doing. And things. our Murray videos are awesome, right? Yeah. For the security <laughs> awareness. So yeah, yeah. I mean, our, our Murray always gets to be the victim. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Our team has worked pretty hard on sort of making. It fun, they, you know, with Murray, and they've made they made like a video game of mm -hmm. finding bad URLs. So they're they're trying to mm -hmm. remove the boredom factor, mm -hmm. I think, which can be there when you're just watching training videos. Yeah, yeah. You so. know, I think it's interesting. You mentioned the uh, measuring the effectiveness mm -hmm. of that. I know there are some organizations we certainly do it, uh, doing tests. Mm -hmm using phishing emails to see how performance improves over mm -hmm. time. And I think the user awareness per, yes. uh, programs have been helping with mm -hmm. that. You know, I think would be another sort of interesting test, and I'm kind of thinking out loud here, but the, the notion of say, you know, just tell the employee base, we're at an elevated threat level, mm -hmm. and see if they behave any differently mm -hmm. than okay, now we're back to normal threat level, and then sort of do another test yeah, and see if they... Yeah, that would be interesting. You know, usually when we do these social engineering tests, it's amazing to see, you know, you don't tell them, obviously, that you're going to test them. You'd pick a random population across, you know, different, um, you know, roles, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've interesting to see is the C-level is usually never part of these awareness trainings. You know, mm -hmm. they're not required to take, you know, all of these CBTs. And that is what the hacker community t tends to target as mm -hmm. well, right? So, uh, you know, when we have social engineered, you know, the folks in the finance department, in the call center, you know, it'd be interesting to see the, you know, variations in the results that we see. So we would assume that the call center folks are the ones that, you know, didn't know enough about security and they're divulging information. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the case. You know, in the CFO, you know, team, we have people where the sense of urgency is the success of a phishing email, right? So if I send over an email saying, in the next 30 minutes, you know, our CEO wants this, you know, list of data, chances are we are going to say, hey, it's part of our job, right? Mm -hmm. We need to, you know, get on this and give it to them. There'll probably be a hundred people working yes. on it. <laughs> so, so that is, you know, usually, you know, what we've found when we do these tests. And, you know, it's interesting how learning happens. Like I was talking to one of the cognitive science, you know, professors earlier that told me that, you know, the way we teach our kids today, the way we learn definitely has to change because we no longer have the time. And again, going back to the smaller bits, right? And the way we process information is so different. We almost want it to be a whiteboarding session mm -hmm. sort of in front of us, right? So mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. uh, so while we create these awareness programs, I think that is key. So. Okay. All right.
very good. I think that's a really cool uh, topic. So let me ask one additional question. What do you think? Um, do you think folks have become basically dismissive that is, you know, look at all these breaches that are going on. It's completely outside of my control. Yes, I have good passwords, but I give yeah. up. Yeah, and I think that is uh, quite a bit of that mentality across the generic user population. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side of it, we are seeing that all of these breaches has raised the awareness from a business you know, side. Has, so yes. we are seeing that, you know, earlier I would work with, you know, small business customers who would not really understand how they play in the big security game, right? Mm -hmm. So why am I concerned? Why would the hacker pick me? I'm too small. But now we are seeing with all of the breaches that are happening that there is a shift on the business side. Yes, there yeah. is frustration on the consumer side. And as an average consumer, you're always looking for sort of shifting the blame above you and to some other authority figure that's going to take care of this problem for you. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what was revealed in this study that, you know what, I do all of this and I'm supposed to take care of all of this, but what about that retailer that is losing my data? What about this hospital mm -hmm. that lost my data? And I think, you know, we're seeing both sides of the shift there. So. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that uh, perhaps isn't addressed really clearly enough is who the liability really mm -hmm. falls upon. Yeah. Is the tendency is to talk about credit card owners as being mm -hmm. the victim of credit card theft. It's yeah. actually not the owner that becomes the victim there. Mm -hmm. It's actually the banking and the retail organizations that become the victim because they have to yeah. basically recover. And I think that's, I mean, from my point of view, that, that's been sort of a sigh of relief. Yeah. Not from my occupational point of view, but from a personal Person, point of yeah. view, I'm not concerned about my credit card being yeah. thought, lost. And you know, the interesting angle to this as well, right? You see news splashes. We talk about you know, a certain entity being breached. We talk about all the, you know, damage that has happened to them. Mm -hmm. We talk about their stock prices falling. When was the last time we really spent all that attention on that hacking group that did it? Yeah. You know, so the victimization <laughs> is a bit off here where, yeah. you know, the, the victim, which is that entity that lost data, you know, is not really, you know, looked at on a nicer light versus we have completely forgotten what caused this or, you know, yeah. who did this. Right? Yeah. So. All right. Very good. All right, so let's uh, go over to you, Joe, and uh, we'll talk a little bit here. You know, the Akamai quarterly report, I think it's the third quarter 2016 report right. came out. They call it the state of the internet. And uh, I always find it to be an interesting report, it provides some uh, good context and the types of things that we see and even report on here. So, yeah, I mean, more than anything, I think we just wanted to let folks know that it's out there, you know, to go sign up for it, get a look at it. Um, they do a pretty good job of sort of comparing this quarter to the previous quarter mm -hmm. and also last year I think the more dramatic results are when you compare 2016 to 2015 I think they're over a hundred percent greater DDoSs and you know the the amount of, of DDoS that we're seeing from mostly from these IOT devices mm -hmm. that we, we talk about seemingly every week it's just stark from last year to this year. It's not as dramatic from quarter to quarter. I think they actually found that last quarter was a 8% greater in total DDoSs to this quarter. But, um, you know, the, the annual statistics are pretty jarring. Uh, a couple cool charts they had. One broke out DDoSs um, by industry. And really, it's sort of a theme in this quarter report is that the DDoS attacks on Krebs on security um, they happen to be within their block, so basically all the uh, the attacks on Krebs sort of dwarf the rest of the activity in the in the report. And mm -hmm. you know he had two separate DDoSs on his site, um, bigger than anything they've ever seen. 
Mm -hmm. So I mean, I'm sure we talked about it earlier, but just to, to kind of understand the, the context of what, you know, what everything else is getting in terms of attacks versus what Krebs saw, it's, 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 a little, it's noticeable. Mm -hmm. And then they actually did a chart of all the DDoSs on Krebs site over time from I think 2013 to current. And you know, he's been getting, he's been getting DDoSed in some fashion or another for, mm -hmm. you know, pretty consistently. Um, which just shows you that this awareness that we're talking about, you know, somebody like Brian Krebs who's bringing awareness to, to some of these things, you know, he makes himself a target. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, and to your point, for anybody that's not familiar with Krebs on security, um, uh, he has a regular, I think he pretty much blogs on topics pretty much daily. And, uh, but he certainly has, he, he's a traditional investigative reporter right. that happens to report on cybersecurity which is, uh, I think, relatively unique. The tendency is a lot of the folks that report on cybersecurity or cybersecurity yeah. uh, you know, practitioners, whereas he kind of gets out on the streets, he'll go and visit and actually interview with folks that right. are suspicious or have been suspected of, uh, of particular activities. Yeah. Um, I, I think his uh, Spam Nation book is, is very, one of the most entertaining yeah. uh, yeah. uh, reads that I've, I've encountered. And the, um, the even though it's it's still a nonfiction, you know, it's based on factual information, but he does he he reports on things that sometimes perturb yeah. the folks that are uh, are you know conducting these attacks, and consequently he becomes a victim of the attacks, yeah. not infrequently. Yeah, well, as a good investigative Go reporter, he's developed sources, and you know he manages to find stuff on mm -hmm. these you know dark web websites that I wouldn't have any clue how to find but he, he does a great job of finding them and he reports on them and in turn makes himself a target mm -hmm. yep that's absolutely true you know I happen to be on a uh, uh, a, a panel that was uh, moderating a panel and Brian Krebs was on it and there were some other representatives there I think the uh, uh, the, uh, the director of science and technology for FBI was on the panel as well and um, we were just getting ready to go up and sit down on the panel and Brian ran out of the room and it was actually somebody, <laughs> somebody was conducting a talk, an attack on his, uh, yeah. his site and then he finally came in just at the nick of time to be able to get started with the panel. So it all worked out well. Nevertheless, uh, I kind of got off on a tangent on the uh, Akamai report. I think it's a very valuable report to take a look at, get an idea of the things that are going on, but also take into account that Akamai is in a particular area of business where they're hosting websites uh, they might not see the full demographic of activities. Right. So, for example, in the reporting that we're doing here, we see a lot of the reconnaissance activity. Actually, they usually sort of report on some of that because it, you know, their, their addresses are exposed to it. And then we also see uh, activity where the denial of service attacks aren't just against websites, but they might be against uh, others, individuals, in fact. Right. Uh, you know, uh, video gamers that are attacking each other just to get uh, a leg up on each other. So. Um, it is, uh, I think, complementary to the type of reporting we get here. And so, Bindu, let's uh, get back to you here. And uh, on this one, I think just a, another topic that's, uh, I think, relatively new uh -huh. for NIST to be getting into. Yeah, so NIST traditionally, you know, focused on, you know, critical infrastructure, you know, federal, you know, defense type frameworks and guidances. Mm -hmm. um, and what we're seeing 
with NIST, you know, when NIST released the framework in 2014, you know, which was about the cybersecurity framework, very phased approach to managing critical infrastructure. You know, what we saw amongst our clients as well is, how do I, in the private sector, take this framework, which seems to be very detailed, and apply it within my environment? You know, a couple of years later, we are seeing that SMBs, the small and medium businesses, are targets of attacks today. They are sort of linked in the supply chain. They are part of you know many many regulations that impose you know specific requirements. Even though you are an SMB, you could be a cloud service provider servicing a healthcare customer. Mm -hmm. You are part of the HIPAA regulation that you need to comply with. You could be in the retail space, and you know you might be a service provider for a large retailer. You're bringing in yourself into that standard or into that industry regulation. So we see that you know this guide from NIST, which was released a couple of days ago, really is the basics or the fundamental approaches for SMBs to take a look at security overall. What was interesting to see in this um, you know SMB guide, you know typically when frameworks are laid out for you, you're not told how to actually go about doing the steps recommended. For example, you know, most security professionals will come in and tell you, you have to start with doing a risk assessment. So how do I actually do that risk assessment? You know, you have to know, you know, uh, what your crown jewels are. Easier said than done, right? Mm -hmm. So how do I Especially go about Especially when you only have one computer in your company. <laughs> yeah, right? so, and you know, you're looking at, you know, one IT person that has to sort of implement all of these, you know, standards and guidelines and best practices. How do you go about doing something like that? Mm -hmm. What was interesting in this guide to see was, you know, they have it broken down by the steps of the framework. They have specific tool recommendations, almost up to the point of it sort of being a manual for you to sort of go through step by step. And they also have templates that tell you how to do a risk assessment, mm -hmm. how should you enforce policies, how do you, you know, calculate what is the risk to your asset, what is defined as a critical asset. Again, this is meant for the SMB space, you know, the smaller physician's office, you know, the smaller, you know, uh, providers that we see out there. But mm -hmm. what is also good to, you know, go through this guide, even if you're not a small business, is to also look at all their must-have recommendations, which I thought were spot on in terms of, you know, taking a layered approach, you know, knowing, you know, figure out what is the low-hanging fruit, address them. And mm -hmm. not everything needed, needed a capital investment, right? So you don't All need right. to go buy tools for every single area. There are things that you could do in-house. And mm -hmm. it was an interesting you know, way for NIST to sort of reach out you know, to the small and medium businesses and sort of bring them into the cybersecurity you know, curve. Right? Mm -hmm. so. so based on your read of this, mm -hmm. Small to medium businesses, where, where do you see, how big of a business do you see this so, fitting into? So the NIST definition of this is, you know, it's about, you know, uh, 500 individuals or less, both profit and non-profit. Mm -hmm. But the way I see it, right, these small and medium businesses are, I would define it as folks that don't have a dedicated security team, you know, have a multifunctional IT team, mm -hmm. uh, have some sort of sensitive information to protect, are servicing, let's say, a regulated industry. They might not be heavily regulated, but they might be servicing a heavily regulated industry. And truly today, I'm seeing this as a competitive differentiator. So do I want to do business with somebody that has taken care of the basics of security and a due diligence? Or do I want to place my bets on somebody that really is not really concerned about security, but is promising me a great quality of service. Mm -hmm. You know, so security has to sort of come into that you know service fabric, and you know it's part of what you're providing to somebody. So. Okay, so if your IT department, your cybersecurity person, yep. and your building security and your HR department are one person, mm -hmm. 
This yes. is probably a good, good reference. Good, uh, you know, point of reference to start with. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very good. And it's, uh, thank you for highlighting that because I think a lot of folks are really struggling with mm -hmm. this topic and yeah. trying to figure out how to do it. So this is a guide that is really NIST's interpretation of the cybersecurity framework to help. Yeah, and how do you apply it to a small and medium business? Mm -hmm. You know, by using the same structure that we are familiar with as part of the cybersecurity framework. So. Okay, very good. With that, that's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at attthreattrack at list.att.com, and you can find ATT Threat Track on the ATT Tech Channel, YouTube, and iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at attbusiness. And I'd like to thank you, Jim, for joining us today. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Bindu. Thank you. It's very, very much a pleasure having you here today. Thank you. So, and I'm Brian Rexford. We'll be back next week with a new episode. And until then, keep your network safe. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.